Welcome to a half hour of Mind Webs. Short stories from the worlds of speculative fiction. This is Michael Hansen with a Mind Web story from the big book of science fiction, which was edited by Groff Conklin. This is Clifford Simak's Desertion. Four men, two by two, had gone into the howling maelstrom that was Jupiter and had not returned. They had walked into the keening gale, or rather they had loped, bellies low against the ground, wet sides gleaming in the rain. For they did not go in the shape of men. Now the fifth man stood before the desk of Kent Fowler, head of Dome Number 3 Jovian Survey Commission. Under Fowler's desk, old Towser scratched a flea and then settled down to sleep again. Harold Allen, Fowler saw with a sudden pang, was young, too young. He had the easy confidence of youth, the straight back and straight eyes, the face of one who never had known fear. And that was strange, for men in the domes of Jupiter did know fear, fear and humility. It was hard for man to reconcile his puny self with the mighty forces of the monstrous planet. Fowler said to him, You understand that you need not do this. You understand that you need not go. It was formula, of course. The other four had been told the same thing, but they had gone. This fifth one, Fowler knew, would go too. But suddenly he felt a dull hope stir within him that Alan wouldn't go. When do I start? asked Alan. There was a time when Fowler might have taken quiet pride in that answer, but not now. He frowned briefly. Within the hour, he said. Alan stood waiting quietly. Four other men have gone out and have not returned, said Fowler. You know that, of course. We want you to return. We don't want you going off on any heroic rescue expedition. The main thing, the only thing, is that you come back, that you prove man can live in a Jovian form. Go to the first survey stake, no farther, then come back. Don't take any chances. Don't investigate anything. Just come back. Alan nodded and said that he understood all that. Miss Stanley will operate the converter, Fowler went on. You need have no fear on that particular point. The other men were converted without mishap. They left the converter in apparently perfect condition. You'll be in thoroughly competent hands. Miss Stanley's the best qualified conversion operator in the solar system. She had had experience on most of the other planets, and that's why she's here. Alan grinned at the woman, and Fowler saw something flicker across Miss Stanley's face, something that might have been pity or rage or just plain fear. It was gone again, and she was smiling back at the youth who stood before the desk, smiling in that prim, school-teacherish way she had of smiling, almost as if she hated herself for doing it. Alan said, I'll be looking forward to my conversion. And the way he said it, he had made it all a joke, a vast, ironic joke. But it was no joke. It was serious business, deadly serious Upon these tests, Fowler knew, depended the fate of men on Jupiter. If the tests succeeded, the resources of the giant planet would be thrown open. Man would take over Jupiter as he already had taken over the other smaller planets. And if they failed, 
If they failed, man would continue to be chained and hampered by the terrific pressure, the greater force of gravity, the weird chemistry of the planet. He would continue to be shut within the domes, unable to set actual foot upon the planet, unable to see it with direct, unaided vision, forced to rely upon the awkward tractors and the televisor, forced to work with clumsy tools and mechanisms or through the medium of robots that themselves were clumsy. For man, unprotected and in his natural form, would be blotted out by Jupiter's terrific pressure of 15,000 pounds per square inch, pressure that made terrestrial sea bottom seem a vacuum by comparison. Even the strongest metal Earthmen could devise could not exist under pressure such as that, under the pressure and the alkaline rains that forever swept the planet. It grew brittle and flaky, crumbling like clay, or it ran away in little streams and puddles of ammonia salts. Only by stepping up the toughness and strength of that metal, by increasing its electronic tension, could it be made to withstand the weight of thousands of miles of swirling, choking gases that made up the atmosphere. And even when that was done, everything had to be coated with tough quartz to keep away the rain, the bitter rain that was liquid ammonia. Fowler sat listening to the engines in the subfloor of the dome, engines that ran on endlessly. The dome never quiet of them. They had to run and keep on running, for if they stopped, the power flowing into the metal walls of the dome would stop. The electronic tension would ease up, and that would be the end of everything. Towser roused himself under Fowler's desk and scratched another flea, his leg thumping hard against the floor. Is there anything else? asked Alan. Fowler shook his head. Well, perhaps there's something you want to do. Uh, perhaps you... He had meant to say, write a letter, and he was glad he caught himself quick enough so he didn't say it. Alan looked at his watch. I'll be there on time. Then he swung and headed for the door. Fowler knew Miss Stanley was watching him, and he didn't want to turn and meet her eyes. He fumbled with a sheaf of papers on the desk before him. How long are you going to keep this up? Asked Miss Stanley, and she bit off each word with a vicious snap. You're going to keep on sentencing them to death, she said. You're going to keep marching them out face to face with Jupiter. You're going to sit in here safe and comfortable and send them out to die. There's no room for sentimentality, Miss Stanley. Fowler said, trying to keep the note of anger from his voice. You know as well as I do why we're doing this. You realize that man in his own form simply cannot cope with Jupiter. The only answer is to turn men into the sort of things that can cope with it. We've done it on the other planets. If a few men die, but we finally succeed, the price is small. Through the ages, men have thrown away their lives on foolish things for foolish reasons. Why should we hesitate, then, at a little death in a thing as great as this? Miss Stanley sat stiff and straight, hands folded in her lap. The lights shining on her graying hair and Fowler watching her try to imagine what she might feel, what she might be thinking. He wasn't exactly afraid of her, but he didn't feel quite comfortable when she was around. Those sharp blue eyes saw too much. Her hands looked far too competent. She should be somebody's aunt sitting in a rocking chair with her knitting needles, but she wasn't. She was the top-notch conversion unit operator in the solar system, and she didn't like the way he was doing things. 
There is something wrong, Mr. Fowler. Precisely, agreed Fowler. Precisely, Miss Stanley. That's why I'm sending young Alan out alone. He may find out what it is. And if he doesn't? Well, I'll send someone else. She rose slowly from her chair, started toward the door, and then stopped before his desk. Miss Stanley, young Alan is going out soon. Please be sure that your machine... My machine is not to blame. It operates along the coordinates the biologist set up. He sat hunched at his desk, listening to her footsteps go down the corridor. What she said was true, of course. The biologists had set up the coordinates, but the biologists could be wrong. Just a hair breadth of difference, one iota of digression, and the converter would be sending out something that wasn't the thing they meant to send. A mutant that might crack up, go haywire, come unstuck under some condition or stress of circumstance wholly unsuspected. For man didn't know much about what was going on outside, only what his instruments told him was going on. And the samplings of those happenings furnished by those instruments and mechanisms had been no more than samplings. For Jupiter was unbelievably large, and the domes were very few. Even the work of the biologists in getting the data on the lopers, apparently the highest form of Jovian life, had involved more than three years of intensive study, and after that, two years of checking to make sure. Work that could have been done on Earth in a week or two, but work that in this case couldn't be done on Earth at all, for one couldn't take a Jovian life form to Earth. The pressure here on Jupiter couldn't be duplicated outside of Jupiter. And at Earth pressure and temperature, the lopers would simply have disappeared in a puff of gas. Yet it was work that had to be done if man ever hoped to go about Jupiter in the life form of the lopers. For before the converter could change a man to another life form, every detailed physical characteristic of that life form must be known, surely and positively with no chance of mistake. Alan did not come back. The tractors combing the nearby terrain found no trace of him, unless the skulking thing reported by one of the drivers had been the missing Earthman in loper form. The biologists sneered their most accomplished academic sneers when Fowler suggested the coordinates might be wrong. Carefully, they pointed out the coordinates worked. When a man was put into the converter and the switch was thrown, the man became a loper. He left the machine and moved away out of sight into the soupy atmosphere. Some quirk, Fowler had suggested. Some tiny deviation from the thing a loper should be. Some minor defect. If there were, the biologist said it would take years to find out. And Fowler knew that they were right. So there were five men now instead of four. And Harold Allen had walked out into Jupiter for nothing at all. It was as if he'd never gone so far as knowledge was concerned. Fowler reached across his desk and picked up the personal file, a thin sheaf of papers neatly clipped together. It was a thing he dreaded, but a thing he had to do. Somehow, the reason for these strange disappearances must be found. And there was no other way than to send out more men. 
He sat for a moment listening to the howling of the wind above the dome, the everlasting thundering gale that swept across the planet in boiling, twisting wrath. Was there some threat out there, he asked himself, some danger they did not know about, something that lay in wait and gobbled up the lopers, making no distinction between lopers that were bona fide and the lopers that were men? To the gobblers, of course, it would make no difference. Or had there been a basic fault in selecting the lopers as the type of life best fitted for existence on the surface of the planet? The evident intelligence of the lopers he knew had been one factor in that determination. For if the thing man became did not have capacity for intelligence, man could not for long retain his own intelligence in such a guise. Had the biologists let that one factor weigh too heavily, using it to offset some other factor that might be unsatisfactory, even disastrous? It didn't seem likely. Stiff-necked as they might be, the biologists knew their business. Or was the whole thing impossible, doomed from the very start? Conversion to other life forms had worked on other planets, but that did not necessarily mean it would work on Jupiter. Perhaps a man's intelligence could not function correctly through the sensory apparatus provided Jovian life. Perhaps the Lopers were so alien there was no common ground for human knowledge and the Jovian conception of existence to meet and work together. Or the fault might lie with man, be inherent with the race. Some mental aberration which coupled with what they found outside wouldn't let them come back. Although it might not be an aberration, not in the human sense, perhaps just one ordinary human mental trait, except that his commonplace on Earth would be so violently at odds with Jovian existence that it would blast all human intelligence and sanity. Claws rattled and clicked down the corridor. Listening to them, Fowler smiled wanly. It was Towser coming back from the kitchen where he'd gone to see his friend, the cook. Towser came into the room, carrying a bone. He wagged his tail at Fowler and flopped down beside the desk, bone between his paws. For a long moment, his roomy old eyes regarded his master, and Fowler reached down a hand to ruffle a ragged ear. You still like me, Towser? Fowler asked, and Towser thumped his tail. You're the only one, said Fowler. All through the dome, they're cussing me, calling me a murderer, more than likely. He straightened and swung back to the desk. His hand reached out and picked up the file. Bennett? Hmm. Bennett had a girl waiting for him back on Earth. Andrews? Andrews was planning on going back to Mars Tech, just as soon as he earned enough to see him through a year. Olson? Olson was nearing pension age, all the time telling the boys how he was going to settle down and grow roses. Carefully, Fowler laid the file back on the desk. Sentencing men to death. Miss Stanley had said that, her pale lips scarcely moving in her parchment face. Marching men out to die while he, Fowler, sat here safe and comfortable. They were saying it all through the dome, no doubt, especially since Alan had failed to return. They wouldn't say it to his face, of course. Even the man or men he called before his desk and told they were the next to go wouldn't say it to him. They would only say, when do we start? For that was the formula. But he would see it in their eyes. 
He picked up the file again. Bennett, Andrews, Olson. There were others, but there was no use in going on. Kent Fowler knew that he couldn't do it, couldn't face them, couldn't send more men to die. He leaned forward and flipped up the toggle on the intercommunicator. Yes, Mr. Fowler? Miss Stanley, please. He waited for Miss Stanley, listening to Towser chewing half-heartedly on the bone. Towser's teeth were getting bad. Miss Stanley, said Miss Stanley's voice. Uh, I just wanted to tell you, Miss Stanley, to get ready for two more. Aren't you afraid that you'll run out of them? Sending out one at a time, they'd last longer, give you twice the satisfaction, Mr. Fowler. One of them, this time, will be a dog. A dog? Yes, Towser. He heard the quick, cold rage that iced her voice. Your own dog. He's been with you all these years. That's the point, Miss Stanley. Towser would be unhappy if I left him behind. It was not the Jupiter he had known through the televisor. He had expected it to be different, but not like this. He had expected a hell of ammonia, rain, and stinking fumes, and the deafening, thundering tumult of the storm. He had expected swirling clouds and fog and the snarling flicker of monstrous thunderbolts. He had not expected the lashing downpour would be reduced to drifting purple mist that moved like fleeing shadows over a red and purple sward. He had not even guessed the snaking bolts of lightning would be flares of pure ecstasy across a painted sky. Waiting for Towser, Fowler flexed the muscles of his body, amazed at the smooth, sleek strength he found. Not a bad body, he decided, and grimaced at remembering how he had pitied the loafers when he glimpsed them through the television screen. For it had been hard to imagine a living organism based upon ammonia and hydrogen rather than upon water and oxygen. Hard to believe that such a form of life could know the same quick thrill of life that humankind could know. Hard to conceive of life out in the soupy maelstrom that was Jupiter, not knowing, of course, that through Jovian eyes, it was no soupy maelstrom at all. The wind brushed against him with what seemed gentle fingers, and he remembered with a start that by Earth standards, the wind was a roaring gale, a 200-mile-an-hour howler laden with deadly gases. Pleasant scents seeped into his body, and yet scarcely sense, for it was not the sense of smell as he remembered it. It was as if his whole being was soaking up the sensation of lavender, and yet not lavender. It was something he knew for which he had no word, undoubtedly the first of many enigmas in terminology. For the words he knew, the thought symbols that served him as an earthman, would not serve him as a Jovian. Suddenly, he was aware of Towser, intensely aware of the bumbling, eager friendliness of the shaggy animal that had followed him from Earth to many planets. As if the thing that was Towser had reached out and for a moment sat within his brain. And out of the bubbling welcome that he sensed came the words, Hiya, pal. Not words, really. Better than words. 
Thought symbols in his brain communicated thought symbols that had shades of meaning, words could never have. And he said, Hiya, Towser. I feel good, said Towser. I feel good like I was a pup. Lately, I've been feeling pretty punk. Legs stiffening up on me, teeth wearing down to almost nothing. Hard to mumble a bone with teeth like that. Besides, the fleas give me trouble. Used to be I never paid much attention to them. A couple of fleas, more or less, never met much in my early days. But, but, Towser, but... Fowler's thoughts tumbled awkwardly. Towser, you are talking to me. Sure thing. Yeah, I've always talked to you, but you couldn't hear me. I tried to say things to you, but I couldn't make the grade. I understood you sometimes, Towser. No, not very well. You knew when I wanted food, and when I wanted a drink, and when I wanted out, but that's about all you ever managed. I'm sorry about that. Now forget it. Hey, I'll race you to the cliff. For the first time, Fowler saw the cliff. Apparently many miles away, but with a strange, crystalline beauty that sparkled in the shadow of the many-colored clouds. Fowler hesitated. Well, it's a long way off, Towser. Ah, oh, come on. And then he started for the cliff. Fowler followed, testing his legs, testing the strength in the new body of his, a bit doubtful at first, amazed a moment later, and then running with a sheer joyousness that was one with a red and purple sword, with a drifting smoke of the rain across the land. As he ran, the consciousness of music came to him, a music that beat into his body, that surged throughout his being, music that lifted him on wings of silver speed, music like bells might make from some steeple on a sunny springtime hill. As the cliff drew nearer, the music deepened and filled the universe with a spray of magic sound, and he knew the music came from the tumbling waterfall that feathered down the face of the shining cliff. Only he knew it was no waterfall, but an ammonia fall, and the cliff was white because it was oxygen solidified. He skidded to a stop beside Towser, where the waterfall broke into a glittering rainbow of many hundred colors. Literally, many hundred. For here, he saw, was no shading of one primary to another as human beings saw, but a clear-cut selectivity that broke the prism down to its last, ultimate classification. The music, said Towser. Yeah, what, what about it? The music is vibrations, vibrations of water falling. Uh, Towser, you don't know about vibrations. Yes, I do. Yes, it, it just popped into my head. Just popped? And suddenly, within his own head, he held a formula. The formula for a process that would make metal to withstand the pressure of Jupiter. He stared, astounded at the waterfall, and swiftly his mind took the many colors and placed them in their exact sequence in the spectrum, just like that just out of blue sky, out of nothing, for he knew nothing either of metals or of colors. Towser, Towser, something's happening to us. Yeah, I know. Towser, it's our brains. We're using them, all of them down to the last hidden corner, using them to figure out things we should have known all the time. Maybe, maybe the brains of Earth things naturally are slow and foggy. 
Maybe we are the morons of the universe, Towser. Maybe we're fixed, so we have to do things the hard way. And in the new, sharp clarity of thought that seemed to grip him, he knew that it would not only be the matter of colors in the waterfall or metals that would resist the pressure of Jupiter. He sensed other things, things not yet quite clear. A vague whispering that hinted of greater things, of mysteries beyond the pale of human thought, beyond even the pale of human imagination. Mysteries, fact, logic built on reasoning. Things that any brain should know if it used all its reasoning power. We're still mostly Earth. We're just beginning to learn a few of the things we are to know, Tazer. A few of the things that were kept from us as human beings, perhaps because we were human beings. Because our human bodies were poor bodies, poorly equipped for thinking, poorly equipped in certain senses that one has to have to know. Perhaps even lacking in certain senses that are necessary to true knowledge. He stared back at the dome, a tiny black thing, dwarfed by the distance. Back there were men who couldn't see the beauty that was Jupiter. Men who thought that swirling clouds and lashing rain obscured the face of the planet. Unseeing human eyes. Poor eyes. Eyes that could not see the beauty in the clouds, that could not see through the storms. Bodies that could not feel the thrill of trilling music stemming from the rush of broken water. Men who walked alone in terrible loneliness, talking with their tongue like Boy Scouts wigwagging out their messages, unable to reach out and touch one another's mind, as he could reach out and touch Towser's mind. Men shut off forever from that personal, intimate contact with other living things. He, Fowler, had expected terror inspired by alien things out here on the surface, had expected to cower before the threat of unknown things, had steeled himself against disgust of a situation that was not of Earth. But instead, instead he had found something greater than man had ever known, a swifter, surer body. A sense of exhilaration, a deeper sense of life, a sharper mind, a world of beauty that even the dreamers of the earth had not yet imagined. Those other five had felt it too, had felt the urge to go and see, the compelling sense that here lay a life of fullness and of knowledge. That, he knew, was why they had not returned. I won't go back, said Towser. Well, we can't let him down, fella. Fowler took a step or two back toward the dome, and he stopped. Back to the dome, back to that aching, poison-laden body he had left. It hadn't seemed aching before, but now he knew it was. Back to the fuzzy brain. Back to the muddled thinking. Back to the flapping mouths that formed signals others understood. Back to eyes that now would be worse than no sight at all. Back to squalor. Back to crawling. Back to ignorance. Mm, perhaps, perhaps someday. We got a lot to do and a lot to see, said Towser. We got a lot to learn. We'll find things. 
Yes, they could find things. Civilizations, perhaps. Civilizations that would make the civilization of man seem puny by comparison. Beauty, and more important, an understanding of that beauty and a comradeship no one had ever known before that no man, no dog had ever known before. And life, the quickness of life after what seemed a drugged existence. Towsie said, I can't go back. Nor I, said Fowler. They would turn me back into a dog, said Towsie. And me, said Fowler. And me back into a man. That was Clifford Simak's story, Desertion. It appears in the big book of science fiction edited by Groff Conklin. I'm Michael Hansen, technical production for MindWebs by Leslie Hilsenhoff. MindWebs comes to you from WHA Radio in Madison, a service of University of Wisconsin Extension.